This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome all our online virtual world, which is becoming our normal, you know, unfortunately, but fortunately that we have this opportunity. So tonight we are learning and So as we're approaching Rosh Hashanah, this is where you know, this is where people start getting serious about religion. And this is where people start getting serious about like, okay, you know, maybe I could improve or should I improve myself in which area? <clears throat> and it's great. The, and there's different things that, you know, one can take upon themselves to enhance their close, basically make themselves a better person. But tonight we're going to put it in a little bit of a, of a different uh, twist. And that is we are going to try to figure out the the... A skula, sort of a, I don't want to say shortcut, but it's kind of is a shortcut to getting a good judgment. And with that, we will begin. The Mikhtab Meliyahu brings down a powerful, powerful skula that in order, if you want to earn yourself a favorable judgment, you know what the key is? The key is to accept our situation in life as God's will. And we should be happy and content with whatever God has given us. If we do this, then in, in sort of in turn, God accepts us for who we are. Now, furthermore, Reb Chaim Palaji, and I want to give you a few sources for this, because it sounds like, oh, nice thing. How, you know what the shortcut is? The shortcut is accept your situation in life, and that will provide for you a good and favorable judgment. But it's even more than that. Reb Chaim Palaji writes that if a person sees that things are, are not going his way, he should not feel depressed, sad, you know, think of this situation as, as unfortunately many people just like give up hope, but rather what he should do or she should do is accept the situation with joy. And then as the Pasuk tells us in Tehillim chapter 32 verse 10, one who trusts God has a, a kindness surrounding him. And then Rabbi Chaim Palaji goes and he says that he guarantees that things will change for the better if one accepts his problems with joy. And he says this is the skula for success. Let's throw in another source. The Arachayim says that the remedy for affliction is accepting it. Something very fascinating. The, the Sfasamist goes and asks a question over here. It says, wait a minute. The Gemara tells us that there are three things that are acquired through suffering. Meaning that in order for you to get those three things, you have to go through suffering. And those three things are, number one is Torah. Number two is Eretz Yisrael. And number three is Olam Haba. Now ask the Sfasamist a very simple question. If Olam Abba is only acquired through suffering, and suffering is beneficial for us, then how is it by me accepting the suffering, does all of a sudden, and I'm accepted with love, I accept it with joy and happiness, how could that now cancel out all my other problems that, you know, should be coming, or the good that could be coming from the suffering? Meaning, if you understand it like this, let's say a father takes his uh, son to the hospital. And the son needs to go through an operation. And the son goes, and he goes to his father and says, listen, dad, I, uh, you know, I really understand why I'm here. I accept this upon myself with joy and happiness. I'm so happy that I'm in the hospital. Does the father go to him and say, oh, okay, oh, now you, don't, you understand what we're talking about. Now we could go out of the hospital. And the answer is no, of course not. He needs to go to the, go to the operation or whatever he's in the hospital for. So as this Fasam, it's a very important question. How is it that if we're supposed to be getting suffering and the suffering is for our benefit, then how, by us saying, oh, we accept it, does all of a sudden that check everything, box off and turns everything around, be like, you know, you accept it, you don't need it anymore. So the Fasam goes and answers, when the Jewish people left Egypt, 
they were supposed to go into the wilderness, into the Minbar, into the desert for only three days. Three days and then they were going to enter out Israel. But then what happened was there was a sin of the spies. And with the sin of the spies, they, were, they had to wander now for 40 years. So now the Sassam has asked another question in his answer, that if Israel, El Israel, can only be acquired through suffering, then how is it that God originally decreed for them only three days? Three days, that's all they needed, and then they would have gotten to Israel. But wait a minute, I thought it needs suffering. So here's where the Sassamist answers. And he says that if the Jewish nation had the suffering for those three days, and they accepted it, they accepted that, then the level that they would have reached would have been equal to the level they would have attained in their 40 years of suffering that they had to go through. Meaning that all that extra suffering would have been unnecessary. Meaning that if somebody goes, and this is the power, this is the crazy power of your going and accepting your situation in life. And that is, is that that is, has the ability to reach you to a level as if you would have went through all those suffering. Meaning that God sent suffering for a reason. And let's say you are on level 10. And you have to get to level 50. That's where God needs you to be right now. So what happens? God sends you suffering and that will wake you up. That will all of a sudden put you in a situation and be like, Oh, wait a minute, Rosh is coming. What do I need to do? What do I need to fix myself? How do I become a better person? And then slowly, slowly through the suffering, through the wake-up calls that you get, you reach level 50. But if you go and you accept that suffering and you accept your situation in your life, then you jump from level 10 to 50 and then you don't need the suffering anymore. And this is what Rabbeinu Yonah says in Sha'arei Tshuvah. He says when a person acknowledges that his suffering is from God and he accepts it, then the remainder of the suffering is held back. It's going to be canceled. There's unnecessary. There's no need for it anymore. With that, we can understand a very, very important Gemara. In Gemara Erechen, page 16b, asks a question. The question is, what is the smallest amount of suffering that is considered an affliction? Meaning, what is it that is the least amount of bad thing that can happen, of the smallest amount, and it's still considered suffering, and it still checks off the suffering box in heaven? So the Gemara gives three answers. Answer number one is that if someone had a garment, had a piece of clothing made for him or her, and it doesn't fit them, that is suffering. So imagine you go to the tailor and you tailor something and it comes in a little bit too short, a little bit too long, and it's not to your liking, that is already considered suffering. Answer number two is that if one wanted to mix wine with warm water and by mistake took cold water, that is considered suffering. You realize these things are like, these things are not even like stubbing the toe. Stubbing the toe is like, oh, you know, like, ow, oh, it hurts. But this is something where you, you wanted to take and pour Warm water, and instead you pour cold water, and because of that, you mix those two things up, that is considered already suffering. And answer number three is that if somebody went and put on their coat, let's say, and it was inside out, as opposed to the right way, that is also considered suffering. And the final answer the Gemara gives, answer number four, is that if one put his hand into his pocket to take out three coins, and he only took out two coins, and now he has to put his hand back in his pocket and take out another two coins. So the Gemara gives four different reasons on what is considered suffering. Now, why is this so important? This is that even the smallest amount of, incon- you know, like, the smallest of, 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 like, something of inconvenience in your life, that is already considered something that's suffering, and that is already has the, the ability for you to either, either utilize that suffering or to just, like, miss the opportunity.
In life, we get so many opportunities. So many opportunities in every aspect. We have opportunities to do good. We have opportunities to do bad. We have opportunities to make money. We have opportunities to lose money. We have opportunities to be in a happy relationship. We have opportunities to ruin that. Life is full of opportunities. But the opportunities, what the Gemara is saying is so amazing over here, is that those tiny opportunities are opportunities as well. And they're not so small. The Chazal tell us, our sages teach us, that these minor afflictions, you accidentally put your shirt on backwards and you have to take it off now. Now, if you go and you say this little thing, you know what, I accept it with love. Even though, if we realize a lot of these things could be your fault, if you would have just been more, uh, you know, observant on this, on your, on your, you know, surroundings, you wouldn't have dealt with this, with this suffering. Still, that's considered suffering. And if you go and you would say, okay, you accept it with love, that already has a, 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 a such a power that it could prevent greater suffering. Now, meaning that the Gemara is saying over here is that let's say you're sitting in traffic. Now, the Gemara doesn't say traffic, but let's use some examples. Let's say you're sitting in traffic. So you think, you know what? Had I would have taken another road. Had I would have taken, you know, another another route. I left earlier. I did this. I, and I would have been on time. And you go and you start contemplating it. All your what-if scenarios, right? As human beings, we love the what-if. This, unfortunately, destro- the what-if question destroys marriages. What if I would have married somebody else? What if I would have married this person? What if she wouldn't have done that? What if he would have said this? So if you're there, you're sitting in traffic, and you see, you know, God, you put me in here, I accept it. That has the power to prevent so, that has the power to prevent a car accident that you would have had to, to unfortunately go through. If let's say you're going and you're drinking something and you accidentally spill it on you, you have an, uh, you know, a bill that comes and it's unexpected. You have somebody that annoys you. Alright, you have a little child that's constantly like annoying you, whatever it is. Of course, not your child, because you never get to know with your children. But somebody else's child is annoying you. That in itself, if you accept those little sufferings, those times that you lost a $20 bill, that those little suffering, that, if you accept those little things, that has the potential for you to save you from so many future losses. Because you accepted the situation, and God says, wait, you know what? I needed you to get to level 50. But the power, the value, the spiritual value of accepting suffering is so high, that by you accepting it, you don't need to go through any more suffering in the future. You don't need to go through what is already intended to come for you. Meaning that you don't know how much you save in your life by just being happy and accepting your situation. The the, the the aspect of always saying thank you to God is now so much more easier when you think of it this way. So let's say, you know, good things happen. Obviously, say thank you, God. But when you have bad things happen to you, you should think about it this way. You should think about it like, you know what, bad thing happened. Thank you, God, for giving me this bad thing because right now I could prevent something so much more worse from happening. So that has the, uh, the ability for you now to accept everything in your life with happiness. This mindset, this power has your ability to, for you to live your life completely on a different level than you're living it right now. The Chazanish goes and says that everybody goes through trials and tribulations in their life. No matter, you, you know, you look at people and be like, you know, this person has a perfect, nobody has a perfect life. Everybody goes through their own situation in life. The difference is that some people will respond to them with a smile and they'll live life happy, and other people will just be bitter. Bitter people, and no matter what happens in life, they're always going to be bitter. If you are able to utilize those little minor disturbances and appreciate it, you will have so much good come in your life. The Gemara and Tanit, page 8a, goes and says that one who rejoices in the sufferings that befall him 
brings salvation into the world. Meaning that you have the ability not only to help yourself, but you have also the ability to now help other people just by accepting it. You bring salvation, the Gemara says, to the world. Not just to you, to the entire world. The, the, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avot says, You should make God's will your will. Meaning that any situation that you're put in your life, you should be happy knowing that this is God's will. Then the Mishnah goes and continues, So that you, he will make, God will make your will his will. Meaning that if one goes and accepts God's will, then God grants this person all his wishes and anything that he asks of him. There is such a power over here that we don't, we, we could tap into so much. And you know what? This is not like it's a, it's difficult now. And it, it, this is a win-win situation in all scenarios. Meaning that if you're able to go and accept your situation in life, the bad, as in a happy state, then you're always going to be happy. So you're going to be winning right now. And not only that, you're also winning later because that's preventing future suffering, future problems from happening to you. If one goes, I, I want to share with you something that's, I, I, I was trying to find the source for this. I learned this a while back and I don't recall the source, but I want to share this with you. It's something amazing. If let's say somebody prays, they want more money. They want, the, you know, they, they want a lot of panasa. And they pray and they pray and they pray and they don't get answered. Let's say someone's sick and they're praying for health, nonstop praying and praying and praying, a thousand prayers. And it's just not happening. Let's say they, they're trying to find their soulmate. They're trying to find their shidduch. They're trying to get married. And they're dating and dating. And they're praying and praying and giving charity, doing all these things. And you know what? And nothing is happening. They're trying all these things and nothing is happening. And let's say this type of person goes and tells God. He says, God, if you do not, did not grant my request, then it must be this is the best thing for me. And I am happy with it. And thank you. Listen to what God answers. God answers that like this. I wanted you to do things better and to grow. That's why I gave you the suffering. But now since you accepted what I did, despite not receiving what you wanted, now I'm going to accept you even though I, so to speak, did not get what I want. You understand the, the knowledge, the, 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 the understanding behind it? That God wants you to, to reach a certain level. And you go to God, okay, fine, I accept the situation. This is where you want me, this is what I, I accept it. Now God says, you know what? Now I accept you for who you are and your level. I want you to get over there, now I accept you for who you are, now you can get the blessing for whatever it is that you need to get. So there's two ways to look at it. Number one is that you get accepted from where you are, but probably even more important is the power of going and accepting your situation in your life it raises you so many notches in, in heaven that you become to where you needed to become to. The Midrash in Tanat Ve'al goes and says this interesting, you know, back and forth that happened with Moshe Rabbeinu and God. Moses went and goes and says to God, why do righteous people sometimes suffer? How come we see that you have great people that go through difficulties in life? So God responded, you'll never fully understand. But I will tell you, says God, when people bless me and pray to me, under all circumstances, in all situations, and even if they do not have good deeds to their credit, I will double their panasa, their livelihood. By the way, this is the part where people listen to, right? Doubling money? <laughs> now, what, what do I got to do for that? Let me repeat that. This is what God said. That if people bless me and pray to me under all circumstances, even if they do not have good deeds to their credit, meaning they're not a righteous person, they're not a good person, but they accept the situation, they accept the circumstances with happiness, with joy, God says, I will double their panasa. The Gemara in Brachot, page 63a, goes and says, Kol 
המשתף שם שמיים בצערו, כופלים על לא פרנסתו. Whoever makes God his partner in distress, his livelihood is doubled. Rashi goes and explains this, that if a person goes and willingly accepts God's decree without a complaint, he doubles his panasah, he doubles his earning. There was once a plumber that uh, didn't have any money, didn't have any money to the extent that he did, it was Thursday night and he didn't have a dime to put food on his table for Shabbat. And he thought maybe so- Thursday, maybe something's going to come. He's waiting until midnight. Midnight, no job came to him. So he went... And he decided that instead of being depressed, sad, that he doesn't have even food to feed his family, he says, you know what, God? I tried everything I could. I tried to get a job. I tried to get some business. It must be it's not meant to be. So if it's your will that we will not have food to eat on Shabbat, then I happily accept it. A few hours later, there's a knock on his door in the early morning hours, and there was an emergency situation where there was a bathhouse that the pipe burst, and they needed a plumber, you know, like emergent, you know, like right now. And he went, and he had to work for a few hours, and with that, he made not only enough money for Shabbat, he made plenty to spear over. The second that we go and we accept our situation, all of a sudden we see blessing that just starts rippling off in our life. Rabbi Lugasi tells a story that there was once a 50-year-old man in Israel that he started losing his eyesight. And he went from you know, doctor to doctor, they ended up sending to a specialist in America, and the specialist says that you know, the vision in one eye could be repaired with surgery, but the vision in the other eye is so far off, the, the, you know, the disease progressed so much that it's not operable, you're going to lose complete vision in that eye. You're going to lose it, you're not going to be able to see anything. So, not knowing what else to do, he goes, thanks the doctor, schedules the appointment, and he schedules it for a few days' time. Now, he was thinking, he says, you know, this is a very, very, you know, eyesight is so important. We don't, you know, if we would start just like to appreciate what we have and we are able to see, it's so imperative. If you try to live your, not your whole day, if you try to live five minutes without looking, you'll go out of your mind. This man goes and started to think, you know what, I had eyesight for 50 years. He says, you know what, let me go and start thanking God for giving me eyesight for 50 years. And he went, and for two hours, he sat in his room, and he cried tears of gratitude. And he started thanking God that he was able to see his wife. He was able to see his children. He was able to see the beauty of the world. And he was going on and on with intense emotion on how much gratitude that he has to God for going and being able to go and help him see the beauty of this world, the beauty of his family, the beauty of of just everything that he had, the, the ability to see. And then, after two hours of just thanking God, he said, please God, let me have a continuation of this blessing. Let me be able to continue to see. A few days go by, he goes back to the doctor. The doctor checks his eyes. He checks the bad one. He checks the worst one. He checks the worst one again. He checks the bad one. He says, you know, I've never seen this before in my life. He says, you know, somehow, I, I can't explain it, the bad one improved that now we could operate it. I, I thought I, was, I couldn't find the bad one. They're, they're both operable. And he, they went and they operated on both of his eyes. And now to this day, he's still able to go and see. We don't know the power of accepting and the power of gratitude. If we would know just how much good we get from accepting our situation and how much good we get from the gratitude, from the thankfulness that we have to God, we would not stop thanking God all day. You know what a scary thought is? That imagine... After 120, you go up to heaven. 
and you look at all your blessings in your life, and you look at all the difficulties in your life, and you think, you know what, the blessings, you know, I was a good person, I gave a lot of charity, God gave me a lot of money. I, you know, I did a lot of chesed with my house, God gave me a big house. I did a lot of X, Y, and Z, so you think that's why I got all these things. And let's say, I'm not saying this is the, the for sure the scenario, but let's say you go and you, and God says, you know why you got all this good stuff, the good stuff? Because you are grateful in these areas. And these are the areas that you got it. And you stop for a second and be like, wait a minute. So if I would have been grateful in the other areas, if I would have accepted the other areas, I would have had blessing in that also. And in heaven they say, yep, that's where you get it. Imagine what, what, a, what, what a pain that is for us after 120 to realize that we were able to tap into so many blessings in our lives had we only utilized the skula, if we only utilized the fact of accepting our situation, if we only utilized the fact of going and, and being grateful for what we have, we would have been able to get so much more blessings in life. This is like a crazy thing. And I'll tell you personally, like this is something that uh, people that have been listening to my classes know that I, I speak a lot about gratitude. And I speak, I, when I say something, I usually like to do it also. Uh, and this is something that I could tell you personally that I have seen differences in my own life from from just the gratitude that I started having, that I started having. Uh, this is something that I say very often, is this is what I do with my family, that me and my wife, we go every night, we say five things that we're thankful to God for. I've been, we've been doing it for years already. And you see the blessings, you see the blessing. And five things, it doesn't have to be like crazy things. You know, my kids sometimes say, my, I'm thankful for my ears, my eyes, my nose, my, neck, my toes, whatever it is, the same things every time, it doesn't matter. The fact is that you have to be grateful. And when you're grateful, God says, oh, you're grateful, let me give you more. This is an aspect that even in our, you know, in our own day-to-day lives, if someone goes and asks you for charity, and you give him, let's say, a dollar, and they go and they start singing your praise like nonstop for the next like five. They give you blessings. First of all, you're like, I gave you a dollar, relax. But if they go and you'll be like, you know what? I want to give you more money. And I had that personal, I had that. I, <laughs> I remember we were talking about maybe 10 years ago. No, 11 years ago. I used to go pray in the Brooklyn on JN uh, 29th, uh, the Boston Air Show over there. And there would be a woman that would sit outside over there, and the sweetest old lady, this, like the, you know, like the, the, like what a grandmother looks like, like that's her mother, like that's you know her, your grandmother's mother, like a sweet old lady, and she would go and she would collect charity, and I would go, and let's say I would give her, let's say a dollar, she would sit there and start giving me prayers and blessings for like. Two minutes, and I'm like, I, I mean, I love the blessings, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, amen, 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 and then I'm like, I gotta run to the synagogue, but I'm like, what am I gonna do? I'm getting gold over here, and I'm sitting over there, and she's giving you. After she gives you blessing, I'm like, you know what? After I come out, I give her more money. I'm like, let me get more blessings. When someone's grateful, you want to give them more. If someone's ungrateful, you'd be like, wait a minute, I gave you twenty dollars for charity, and you don't even look. You're not even interested in saying thank you. You're not even interested in all this. You're like, you know what? Forget about it. You don't even want to give them more. Obviously, that's not the correct attitude. But there is an aspect that we see even in our days and when in, in, in the human you know, psychological interactions that when someone's grateful to us, we want to give them more. If someone's ungrateful, we feel like we don't want to give as much. There's, the Divrei Yisrael goes and says something very important. That anxiety and depression blocks the pipelines that brings blessing and prosperity to, into your life. And in order to open those pipes is by recognizing that God is in charge and He controls the world. You see, unfortunately, many people, and we can't blame them, people go through a tremendous amount of suffering, and they're going through difficulties. And unfortunately, they, 
you know, they get down, they get depressed. It's, it's part of human nature. It's normal. But if we would think about it for a second and realize that that depression, that anxiety, that downness that we have, that's blocking our, our pipe out. It's blocking our blessings that's supposed to be coming to us. So it's so imperative, so important that we live our life with joy and happiness. And the best way is to realize that everything is from God. And not only everything is from God, is that those little sufferings, we could accomplish so much if we would just say, you know what, God, thank you for this. Thank you for my family. Thank you for making me this way. Whether it's good or whether it's bad, it doesn't matter. Just thank you. I love you and thank you. The, I'm going to share with you something from David Asher. He says, if one of the most difficult challenges in life is when people go, and they do something good for God. Let's call it for God, even though it's really for us. They do something good, and they don't see the reciprocation. They don't see God doing it back. Meaning that, let's say you invested hours or days doing a certain mitzvah, praying nonstop for hundreds and hundreds of prayers, and you only see the situation getting worse and worse. Now, those types of people, now you have a situation, what are you going to do? You took upon yourself, let's say, this extra stringencies and now, because you wanted a certain blessing in your life, and now it's not coming. You prayed so many times for something, and it's not coming. So now the question is, what are you going to do now? Are you going to drop it? How, what is going to be your, your interaction, your relationship with God, so to speak? So, in those difficulties, in those times, this is the opportunity that a person has to show if he really loves God or not. If a person wants to know whether the love for someone is real, he should ask himself that no matter what that other person does, his love will remain the same. That is called unconditional love. However, if let's say you love someone, but when you don't see the results that you wanted, all of a sudden you don't love them so much anymore. So you could tell, go, that obviously is unconditional. It's, it's not love that's unconditional, it's conditioned. You know, if you're happy with the situation, then you love them. If you're not happy with the situation, you don't love them. So let's say if God is doing all good things for you, say, God, me and you are good, I'm happy with you. But if God, let's say, God forbid, sends you some, some little trouble, some little bumps in your life, and all of a sudden you say, God, why are you doing this to me? You start complaining and arguing and, and, and being upset at God. That means that your love for God is conditional. It's only depending on your happiness and your life. But if we go and we tell God, you know what, God, no matter what you send on me, we don't ask for troubles, we don't ask for tests, but if whatever you send me, I'm still going to serve you the best I can, that shows you that your love for God is unconditional. There's a story that in, in 1942 in the Kovno Ghetto, there was a few months to Pesach, and there were, you know, the people over there in the ghetto, they had no, they were starving basically. But they wanted to go and fulfill the mitzvah of eating matzah on, on, on Pesach, on Seder night. But the question is, they barely had enough food to survive the regular. How are they going to start going and gathering flour and saving it? There was a certain man by the name of Moshe. And this Moshe, he went and he found, he worked in a place that he had a possibility of sneaking flour. And every day, he would smuggle a little bit of flour into the ghetto. And the days was getting closer to Pesach, and he was so happy. His, his joy knew no bounds. He was, he was jumping out of his skin because he had, he smuggled over the past few months enough flour to bake matzot for a hundred people to have a kazai. It's a small amount. Two days before the holiday, he was getting, he was smuggling his last batch, his last batch into the ghetto. And as he was crossing into the ghetto, the Nazis, they went and they, the guards, they searched him. And they found a small bag of flour. They yelled at him. He says, are you kidding me? What are you doing? This is against the rules. How dare you, despicable Jew? And they started yelling at him and beating him. They beat him so much that they ended up knocking out his teeth. He had no teeth. Knocked out all his teeth. That night, 
it was two nights before Pesach. That night, this Moshe went over to his rabbi. His rabbi was Rabbi Ephraim Ashri. He had tears in his eyes. He goes and he says, please rabbi, tell me, how am I going to fill the mitzvah of eating matzah? I can't chew, I have no teeth. The rabbi was so moved by his question, because this guy was doing for God for months, not only for God, for all his, his, his cellmates. He was helping other people want to do something for God, to eat matzah and Pesach. He sacrificed his life to go and give up for this, for this mitzvah of matzah. And what happened? Not only didn't he get rewarded, his teeth got knocked out, and now he can't even eat the matzah that he already smuggled in. So says Rabbi Ephraim Ashri, he could have gone and started complaining to God, God, this is what you're doing to me? After all I did for you and your, and your children, this is what you're doing to me? But instead, you know what he wanted to know? You know what his question was? He says, how am I going to eat matzah if I don't have any teeth? How am I supposed to do? I can't make it wet because then maybe I'll, if I soften the matzah, then it's going to make it chametz. What am I supposed to do? The rabbi was so moved by this question that he ended up including this in his sefer, the sefer she'elosu tshuvos mimamakim. He put it inside over there. This is somebody that, that could have given up so easily. He said, have been like, you know what, God? I'm done. I tried. I've done so much. I sacrificed so much. But you know what? I'm done. But you know what? No, he didn't do that. He went and he says, now that this happened, now how am I going to go and continue doing the mitzvah? There are so many people, unfortunately, you know why they become religious? They become religious because they want more money. They want to get married. They want to, you know, be healthy or whatever it is. They, there's so many people that come into it. I get this, all, unfortunately, I get this all the time where you have people come and be like, okay, so if I keep Shabbat, I'll make more money. So if I do this, will I get married? You know, if I, they're doing this conditionally. Now again, okay, you know what, do it, at least you're starting to do something. But what happens when that person goes and let's say he's keeping Shabbat for, let's say, six months, a year, and he's still not getting married, still not making his millions. Is he going to give it all up? Or is he going to continue doing it? You decide what your level of relationship with God in those difficult times. Do you continue or do you give up? There are people, unfortunately, that they give up even when they're not difficulties are in their own hands. There are, some, there are some people that, you know, they decide they're not going to be religious. Why? Because of the Holocaust. And when I speak to these people, I'm like, I don't understand. You didn't go through the Holocaust. Did your parents go through the Holocaust? No, they, they didn't. Did your even grandparents go to the Holocaust? And the guy says, no. Like, there's nobody in his relative, you know, vicinity, in his family line and ancestry that went through the Holocaust. But you know why he's leaving religion? Because of the Holocaust. I'm like, so you're finding excuses that is completely unrelated to you to go and find a way out. Then you have people that went through the Holocaust, and not only that, they became stronger and closer to God. When people go through life, and just looking at what they could get from the situation, or what they could get out of the situation... That is a very, very bad character trait. If somebody goes into religion only looking to what they can get out of it, that is a very, very bad character trait. Again, granted, it's good that at least, you get, at least you're doing something. But imagine this in marriage. Imagine someone goes into marriage to just try to get something out of the marriage. They want the, whatever it is from their spouse. And if the spouse isn't making them happy, they need to leave. This is, this is unfortunately very common nowadays. This is where people say, oh, I fell in love, I fell out of love. Well, this, this nonsense talk about falling and going and moving out, she's not making me happy anymore, he's not making me happy anymore. We're all thinking, we're so selfish, we all think about only us. Only us, that's all we care about. You know what a healthy marriage is? A healthy marriage is not thinking about us. It's thinking about your spouse. How do I make my spouse happy? You know what a healthy relationship between you and God is? like? Let me do what God wants me to do. 
Forget about what I want God to do for me. Let me just do what I need to do. You know, one time I was speaking to an atheist, or a, so to speak atheist, and I, I, you know, this is a question I usually like to ask atheists. When you meet God, what are you, you, uh, you going to tell God? You know, like, what is, what is your interaction? What is it going to be like? You know, you're going to see God after 120, after you saying for the, you know, 120 years that God doesn't exist. All of a sudden you get up to heaven and God says, hey, what's up? What are you going to tell God? So this one atheist went and told me, and he started getting all hyped. He started to say, he says, you know what I'll tell God? He says, I'll tell God, how dare you make people suffer? How dare you hurt the children? How dare you have starvation in Africa? How dare you have global, whatever it is, nonstop, how dare you, how dare you, how dare you to God? Which, by the way, shows that he's not an atheist. But also, like, this is all, how dare you? Like, that's all you see? You see only the bad? There are people that look at the bad, and there are people that look at the good. The question that we each and every single one of us has to ask ourselves is, which one are we? The school over here is, the ones that look at the good and appreciate the bad will get so much more good in their life. When the Torah goes and tells us of Sarah death, Immediately after Akedat Yitzhak. The question is why? Says Rabbi Leo Dessler, because this was a continuation of Abraham's test. Meaning that what happened was over here, was that God tells Abraham Avinu to go and sacrifice his son. Abraham goes and sacrifices his son. God says, you know, don't sacrifice it. Right before the, right before the act. Sarah hears about this, you know, sacrifice. From that, she dies. She passes away. Why would, says Rabbi Leo Desser, why did they put it so close together, the death of Sarah and the sacrifice of Yitzhak? The answer is because all this was part of a test of Abraham. This was a test of Abraham. Abraham could have been, be like, you know what God, this is what I did for you. I went and I was willing to sacrifice my son and now you caused my wife to die? He could have said that. He didn't. Abraham understood that trusting in God is even when it doesn't make any sense. Yosef HaTzadik, look at the test of Yosef HaTzadik. He had a test of Eshaz Potiphar, with, with what, the test was 12 years. 12 years was a test, but the, the question, as I said for Kata, the asked is no, it wasn't. It was the test was only one year. The one year of the, there was one year where Eshaz Potiphar, the wife of Potiphar, went and tested Yosef to try to seduce him for one year. Eventually, she gave up and sort of like sent him to prison for 12 years. So we're, the test was one year. How did we say we had a test was for, for throughout the 12 years that he spent in the, in the dungeon, in the, in the prison? And the answer is because Yosef did something right. He went and he passed the test. He went and he did something for God. He went, even though it's most difficult that it was, this most difficult situation in his life, he was presented with an opportunity that we can't even imagine. And he passed it with flying colors. But instead of getting rewarded, you know what happened? He got sent to dungeon to prison for 12 years. So for 12 years, you know what his test was? It was all in his mind. The test was, are you going to regret all the good, all that good, all that that you passed? Are you going to be like, you know what? I did so much for God. I passed the test because I knew this is the right thing to do. And this is how God repays me? He throws me into the dungeon? I should have just done the deed. I should have just done it. I would have been still living in the palace. But he didn't do that. For 12 years, he never once regretted the, the deed that went that he passed the test. He never once regretted that he went and he refused the wife of Potiphar. He didn't budge from his mindset that he did the right thing and he was not budging at all from that. You know what his reward was? His reward was that 12 years, that long test, he ended up getting out of prison and he ended up ruling Egypt for 80 years. 
what would have happened? He would have maybe would have went and he would have uh, been the ruler of Potiphar's house had he would have, God forbid, done that deed. Now he passed the test. Look at what he got. He ruled over the entire Egypt and, so to speak, the entire world at that time. There are so many hidden jewels and diamonds beneath every single form of suffering that we have. You look at Rabbi Akiva, for example. Rabbi Akiva... He, you know, to level, the level of Rabbi Akiva was that when Moshe Rabbeinu was in heaven receiving the Torah, you know what Moshe Rabbeinu says? says Why am I here? You should have Rabbi Akiva do it. You should have Rabbi Akiva give the, the Torah to the Jewish nation. Why are you sending me? You look at Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva's life was not an easy life. He was went and he was a shepherd until he was 40 years old. And then his wife went and convinced him to go and learn Torah. He went and he learned for 24 years, came back with 24,000 students. And then in a short period after him coming back, those 24,000 students that he worked and sweated for 24 years all died in a very short period of time. Rabbi Kiva could have said, forget it, I'm done. I'm retiring, I get it God. I tried, I gave my life to you. I went and I studied and I learned and I taught for 24 years and I had 24,000 students. You took all 24,000 away. I get the point. I see where the light is. I see where you're pointing at to me. I'll be gone. But you know, Rabbi Kiva didn't do that. He went and he continued and he went and he found another five students and these five students changed the world forever. These are five students talking about Rabbi Shem Bayechai was one of the students. Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Yehuda, he had giants of the students. So you think, okay, fine. He finally passed his test. He finally went and he finally got those students that went and, and presented the, the Torah to the entire Jewish nation for generations to come. You think now it's smooth sailing. You know how Rabbi Akiva died? Rabbi Kiva died there. The Romans scraped off his flesh with iron combs. They just combed his skin off. It's combed layer after layer after layer. Even the angels couldn't believe it. They say, This is the reward for Rabbi Akiva who gave up his life for Torah. This is what he gets. Everybody was complaining. Everybody was saying, What's happening over here? You know what Rabbi Akiva was doing? Not a single complaint. He was saying, Shema, as they were combing and killing him. He was saying, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. That's what he was saying. He understood the greatness to love God in all circumstances, in all situations. When he finished, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, his soul left and went up to heaven. But before, while he was still alive, the students were there and they were saying, Rabbi Akiva, how are you accepting this with so much happiness? You know what Rabbi Akiva says? He says, I've been wanting to do this my whole life. I wanted to give up my life for God. Because he lived his life as only for God, not looking for anything in return. He always went and accepted his situation because this is what God put me in and this is where I need to be. Then this is how I'm going to be happy in this situation that God put me in. And with that mindset, no matter what God threw at him, no matter what the scenarios in his life brought him, he was able to go and accept it with happiness and love and brought him to the level that he was, that Moshe Rabbeinu says he should be the one who to give the Torah. That's how high of a level that he reached. When Sarah Imenu, when she died, when she heard as a result of the Akedah, she didn't die because she heard the Akedah. She was destined to live exactly 127 years. God allowed it. To appear to be as if she died because of the because of the of the Akedah, because of the sacrifice of Yitzhak, it appeared, it made it look like that. Why? To test Abraham. This was a test for Abraham. You have unfortunately we have many, many families, friends, relatives, neighbors that passed away through coronavirus. And and people go and they started saying, you know what? If they would have maybe done this, if they would have done that, if they would have taken this precaution, that precaution, and they start going and start saying the what they're playing the what if game. But the, answer, the real answer is that it wasn't corona, it wasn't that. 
this was God, this was this person's time to die. It was this person's time to go and die. So when we look at life that way, it, it's so different. If a person goes and let's say drives to the synagogue to go and pray, and they come out and they get a ticket. Let's, let's, let's slap another doozy on this. They get a ticket and someone keyed their car. And someone slashed the tires. Throw another one at it. So you know what this person, the initial normal reaction would be like, you know what God, I don't understand. Why? I did this for you. And this is the, the payment that you have over here? The answer is the, the car would have gotten slashed anyway. The tires would have been slashed. The ticket would have been in anyways. But God put it in this scenario in order to test you. I want to share with you something amazing. Rabbi Yitzhak Dweck brings us down in the Sefer Or Bitachon. That during the time of the Holocaust, there was a group that would hide in the basement and the bunkers for long periods of time without any food. And at night, they would try to sneak out and try to find scraps of food in order to survive and then go back into their bunkers, back into the basement in order to survive to where, you know, hide so the Nazis can't find them. Soon, however, the Nazis were combing through the, through, through the Jewish ghetto and they started like, you know, either killing anybody, sending anybody to the concentration camp until the point there was virtually no Jews left. But they realized, the Nazis, the, the despicable, the, the lowest of the low, they said, you know what, there probably is some Jews sneaking and hiding in some area over here. So what they did was that they lit fires, they basically burned down houses, that if they don't destroy the Jews with the flames, they'll at least they'll kill them with the smoke. And in one certain building that they burned down, there was a notebook that was found. And in this notebook, there was a little journal. And I want to read for you, word for word from this journal. This is a person who wrote down this, uh, th- this scene that happened in his, while he was hiding in one of these bunkers. And he starts off, he says, I am now alone. No one left is here with me. The suffering we have experienced over the past few days is unimaginable. Most probably the flames will consume me within the next few hours. The thick and suffocating clouds of smoke are sweeping through the cracks of, into the room where I'm hiding. No doubt it is permissible for me at this point to give up my life and jump into the flames and end it. I have fought hard and long, and this would enable me to forfeit the rest of my battle and thereby my pain. But I recall the famous story once that was recounted by the Chafetz Chaim when he lost his child. The story took place in the time of the Spanish Inquisition. The identity of one of the Moranos had finally been revealed, and he was forced to take his family and flee on a moment's notice. Having to leave all his wealth and riches behind, he made his way through the secret tunnel onto a ship and ended up in Morocco. Once he was there, he settled temporarily with a group of fugitives and other escapees. The surroundings were pitiful, and soon a deadly infectious disease broke out. One son got sick and died. Then another and another. Finally, his wife succumbed to the same illness. It was impossible to comprehend. In a few short weeks, he has been a wealthy man with a beautiful family, living in the lap of luxury, and now he had nothing. He would not complain. But in the great pain, he cried out, God, what more do you want to take from me? What more do you want me to do so that I should stop believing in you? Almost all my fellow Jews have been forced to flee our homeland. I was forced to leave my, my beautiful ha- house, home, and I had to hide in the dark, dank cellar. And I still love you. I lost all my wealth, and I still love you. You took away all my children and my wife, and I still love you. What else do you want to take from me so that I will not continue to believe in you and love you? I only have two things left. 
I have my life and I have my faith. The soul is yours and the body is your handiwork. If you want to take them, you can take them, they are yours. All that remains is my faith. And God, although everything in the world is under your control, there is one thing that is mine and mine alone, and that is my faith. And even that you cannot take away from me. So if you want to end my life, then do so. Now he concludes his journal. I debated whether I should jump into the raging flames that surrounded me to save myself from perhaps a few moments of pain and suffering. But as I prepare to die, I realize now more than ever how precious every moment it is that I could spend here on earth. Therefore, he writes in his journal, I will do nothing to shorten my life, even by a few minutes. For every second is precious. It is an extra opportunity to believe in God, to love God. I no longer have a family. I no longer have friends. I no longer have anything. They have taken everything from me. But there's someone left with me that I could spend my last few moments of my life. And I want to spend them with you, Hashem. I choose you, God. I choose to say that nothing you will do will ever break me. It is here that I choose to ground you. It is here that I choose to love you. Jumping into the flames? Never. I will continue to fight to be with you, to believe in you, until the very last moment, until I can fight no longer. I will love you forever, dear Father. This is a journal that they found in the Holocaust. Think about the level. But think about more importantly, what type of person are you? You could look at the positive in life or you could look at the negative. Do you see the darkness in the light? Or do you see the light in the darkness? We have the opportunity to decide how we look at our lives. How do we look at our difficulties? Do we choose to crown God? Do we choose to say, God, I love you regardless. You put me in this situation and I thank you for it. Or do we choose to start complaining? And looking at only at the bad. The skula over here. The powerful skula is if you go and you accept your situation in your life with joy and happiness, there will be so much blessing that will come to your life. Rav Yosef Meir of Machanovka, he went and he said he once saw a bunch of oxen tied up waiting to be sold. And he saw that some sort of resigned. They were tied up, they were locked. They realized this is their fate and, their, and they sort of accepted their situation the way to patiently. They were given to eat, they were given to drink, and they moved on in life. Then they had other they had other ox that went and they pulled and they kicked and they were trying to be very wild, trying to get out of their situation. And what happened to them? They were beaten and bruised unnecessarily. Says, the, says Rabbi Yosef Mary, says every person has their own peckle in life, has their own suffering. Some accept it and they accept it and they said, God, you send this to me, I'm calm, I'm happy. And what happened? God accompanies with them, gives them food, gives them drink, gives them, it makes their life a little bit easier. But other people go and they fight God and they fight God against us. You know what this happens? This causes them a pain that is unnecessary. The Arachayim goes and says that when a person goes and accepts his suffering, this is the best remedy. This is the best remedy to go and get rid of the suffering. When a person stops trying to get his way at all costs and blaming others for his own fallings and he says this is God's will, this is the power. This is the power of him getting out of every problem in his life. Now, of course, if a person has a situation in life, they should try to get out of it through natural means. But accept it nonetheless. Accept that this is what God wants you to be in this scenario in your life. Rabbi Cheska Levinstein of David Asher brings this down. Once wrote a letter to his family. And he urged them to accept everything that God does with love. And if you do that, nothing bad... And if you do that with the mindset that nothing bad comes from God 
this will give you a great, great skula. And he cites the Sabah of Kaum. And he describes how we have the ability to earn eternal life, eternal reward in a single moment. If a person has a reason to feel bad, down, distressed, depressed, but he said, he goes and he says, God, you did this and you know what you're doing. Then says Rabbi Chatzkalevsi, he says his words, he says, I'll call rega scharai muruba ma'oid. The, the power, the reward for each moment that you say that is so great. We say in Tehillim chapter, we say this in Ashrei, it's in Tehillim chapter 145 verse 17. It says, Tzadik Hashem God is righteous in all His way. If we contemplate these words and apply them to our day-to-day lives that God is righteous in all His ways, we can shake the heavens. The Yalkut Shemoni in Parashat Shemot goes and says that when the Egyptians went and they sort of like died in the, in the, in the, in the sea, they were able to get a certain uh, burial. Now, where did this come from? They merited this, the burial, when Paro went in the plague of hail. Paro went and he says, Hashem HaTzadik. God is the righteous one. By justifying God's delivering the plague, Paro earned a merit of proper burial for himself and all the Egyptians. Now, we have to understand this scenario over here. Paro, when he made this declaration... He was doing it under duress. He was doing it under pressure. Like, it was literally under the plague of hell. He's like, okay, fine, I see God, it's from you. Hashem, this is from God. God is righteous. But despite him doing it under duress, despite him being, despite also the fact that right after the plague, he went right back into being the wicked thing and, and basically reneging on, on his word. But despite that, he entered and he got the reward of being, of the ability to be buried. So we can only imagine the reward that we will get when we go and when we accept God's situation that God placed in our lives with joy and happiness, with just saying, Hashem HaTzadik, or better yet, Tzadik Hashem B'chol God is righteous no matter whatever God gives us. The reward is endless. And we think, you know, why didn't I get this, you know, panasa? Why didn't I get this job? Why didn't I get this shidduch? Why did I get sick? Why? All these questions that we have in our life, valid, valid questions. But these questions give us an opportunity to say, you know what? Hashem HaTzadik, God is righteous. And in this, we have the reward. And every single moment, we have the ability to earn eternal, eternal reward. I want to finish off with, there's blessings, you know, that we need to make in our life. And, when we go and we have difficulties in our life, it's easy to make the blessing. But how is it that we need to go and make blessings in our life? Meaning blessing to God, thanking God for our situation, whether it's for the good or whether it's for the bad. But how are we supposed to do it when it's difficult? So I want to share with you something that David Asher brings down. There's a pasuk in Malachi, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Ahafti eschem amar Hashem. God says, I love you. I love you. If we knew how much God loves us, then we would in turn love Him. And it's very interesting, in our daily prayers, we say, Hashem's love for us is eternal. And after we say that God loves us, only then we say, We say, now you, God commanded you to love God. Meaning, that in times of hardship, how do you go and say, you know what, God, I accept it. If we are able to instill in ourselves that God loves us, no matter where we are in our life, God loves us, then we have the opportunity to show our love for God. 
this is a very, very important, uh, important mindset that we need to have. That no matter what happens in our life, God is there and God loves us. With that mindset, we can reciprocate that and we can go and we can accept our situation with happiness and with joy. This is what Rabbi, you know, what Rabbi Meribal and Esther, Medosh brings down the story, that one Shabbat, he was going and he was sitting in the Beth Midash, he was sitting and he was learning, and he comes and he was, uh, when he comes home, he was unaware that both his sons died. His wife went and moved the bodies and put them in the attic. And when he came home, she, um, he, she, he, go, she goes, he goes to her and he says, uh, where are the boys? So his wife, Bruya, went and changed the subject and he says, oh, here, why don't you eat the evening meal? You eat the, you know, the Malava Malka. So after he fin- Rameer finished and he did Bekat Amazon, he went and he says, you know, uh, we're, what's with the, with the boys? So his wife, brilliant woman, goes to him and he says, you know, Rebbe, I have a question. He says, if a person gave me a deposit for safekeeping some while ago, and now he has come to claim it, what should I do? So the Rabbi Meir replied, simple, you have to return it. So Breuer went and took Rabbi Meir and showed him the, the lifeless bodies of their two children. And Rabbi Meir started crying and laminating being, you know, over his loss. And his wife goes and says, Rebbe, so his wife goes and says, didn't you just tell me that if the deposit was, was given for safekeeping, it must be returned when the owner comes to claim it? Rabbi Meir stopped crying immediately and quoted the Pasuk in Yov, chapter 1, verse 21. It says, Hashem Nasan, Hashem Lakach, Hashem has given, Hashem has taken, Yihi Shem Hashem Mevorach. May God's name be blessed, meaning that God has given us the good. And now God has taken the good. May God's name be blessed. We don't know the full calculation. We don't know all the details of what happens. But one thing we do know is that God has given us everything from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we have to go and we have to accept it. Because God has given us this situation and this is the situation that we need to be in. And with that, we could have that powerful skulah that Mechtab Meliyahu says, coming to Rosh Hashanah, the powerful skulah of earning a favorable judgment is accepting your situation in life with happiness and contentness. This will give us so much power in our judgment. And even better yet, it will let us live our life in happiness, in joy, in, in a level that we can only imagine how much we can reach, the powerful school of how much we can reach if we just accept it. If we accept our situation, we, don't, we can prevent so many bad from happening. And with that, we'll open up to uh, questions. And we see we got here already some questions. Okay. Question number one, what would you say to tell someone who doesn't believe that the Holocaust was Hashem's judgment? They don't understand that Hashem would be involved in something so horrible or that Hitler was God's messenger. So the, you know, the problem over there is, is that we try to play God's accountant and we try to understand why God did it and how could God do something. We have to realize that we don't understand anything in our life. We don't understand our own self. We don't understand our spouse. We don't understand anything. Now you're going to try to figure out God. So when somebody goes and says, oh, how could God do such a thing? How could it be? You you want to know how God could do something? After 120, you'll go and you'll realize what it all happened. But one thing you should know for sure is that if it happened, there was a reason for it to happen. And not only was a reason for it, it was a good reason for it to happen. And I, my, my great-grandparents, my great-aunts and uncles that, that perished in the Holocaust, you know, that I am missing a lot of family now because of Hitler, Yimashallah. But we have to go and we have to accept that the fact that God has done this, and if God has done this, there must be a reason for it. God loves us, and there must be a very, very good reason for it. I don't know the reason, but there's a very, very good reason for it. And with that, we have to accept it. That's all that we can do. 
Next question is, does Hashem's, does Hashem always being righteous and His attribute of judgment contradict each other? Okay, so let me see if I can understand that. Just being maybe merciful, and maybe, maybe if I'm understanding this question correctly, is that can God be merciful and the attribute of judgment at the same point in time, and do they contradict each other? So the answer is, no, not necessarily. Mercy comes from a certain you know, uh, aspect of, of judgment, and the judgment comes from a certain aspect of the mercy. So they really go hand in hand, and I'm trying to think of what would be a good example. But let's try to use the example that we gave right now. So let's say somebody was supposed to go through a certain amount of suffering, and that suffering... You know, they decided that they're going to accept it, and now God removes that suffering. So it looks like it's through the mercy of God that God took away the suffering. And the answer is, it is. It is from the mercy of God. But really, it's also from the judgment aspect as well. Because when you go and you do something that would make God prevent having that suffering, so what happens is now is that you now deserve, so to speak, or, or lack thereof, to get rid of the suffering. So meaning that, the same example that we gave earlier, you had suffering to get to level 50, and that's where it's supposed to go until. And you are right now at level 10. But now what God did was, He gave you suffering, and you accepted, so you moved it up to 50. So now even, you think it's mercy, but no, it's also from the judgment. The judgment, that's it. You don't deserve the punishment anymore. So they really don't contradict each other. Okay, next question. I remember hearing that we all go through suffering, and sometimes we bring more on ourselves. True. But we can choose how we suffer. We can choose to suffer by learning Torah. Since learning Torah is considered suffering, it is difficult to learn. We can choose to learn Torah in place or lessen the suffering. Have you heard of this? If so, what are the sources? So the answer is yes. The answer is, um, so the question is like this. Um, I've spoken about this before. I believe I spoke about it in in the the class that I gave on Karet. Um, Now, if somebody does a violation of Karet, and it's a violation of Karet, let's say somebody goes and violates Shabbat, right? So the suffering for that is karat. They get cut off from God. Says the Rambam in Hilchot Tshuva. It says, what happens if somebody does karat and they want to do Tshuva? So they have to do the Tshuva process, right? They have to regret it. They have to confess it to God. They have to obviously not do it anymore. They have to go through the Tshuva process. And once they go through the Tshuva process, they have to pass through Yom Kippur. And after they pass through Yom Kippur, they also have to go through suffering in order to remove that, uh, you know, the, the, the sin of karat on their head. But now, the question is, let's say you have somebody that didn't keep Shabbat for 10 years. And now all of a sudden they realize, oh my God, I have so much suffering that's coming to me now. How do I get rid of it? Is there a shortcut? And the answer is yes. If you go and you, let's say the, the example that you give, let's say you want to you know, learn Torah, but you're very tired, you're going through difficulties, your, your head is not into it, and you go and you push yourself to go and learn. It's very hot and you don't want to dress modestly and you push yourself to dress modestly and it's difficult. You're suffering while doing something good. That removes the suffering from what you ought to get, what you intend to get on um, that, that from this karet. And I believe the source for that was in somewhere along the Mifarshim on the Rambam on this, on Hilchot Shuvah, on specifically on karet, if, if my memory serves me correctly. Last, no, we got another question. Okay, what about if the issues is partly your fault? What about not entirely accepting the situation because you are trying to fix it? Okay, two questions over here. Even if it's your fault, you should still accept the situation. Meaning, even though you messed up, God allowed it to happen. Now, granted, make sure that it doesn't happen again, right? Let's say you, uh, you know, unfortunately you were driving when you were tired and there was some sort of accident. So, yes, that's your fault, but also God let that happen, so to speak. So, two things you need to learn from this. Number one, don't drive while tired, but also 
you have to go and say, listen, God allowed this to happen, so now I have to accept it upon, even though it was my fault. The proof of this matter is, is the, the Gemara that we quoted from Erech in page 16b, that says, that if somebody goes and puts on his shirt backwards, or he puts on his pocket, and he puts his hand in his pocket, he wanted to take out three coins, he only took out two coins. Those things are partially your fault also. You should have looked. <laughs> you know, we put your hands in your pocket, feel for three coins. You put on your shirt, you're supposed to feel it. So it's partially your fault. But even still, even though it's your fault, it's still considered suffering. Meaning that you should still accept it out of love, you should still accept, accept it out of happiness, and it's still counted as suffering. Obviously, be careful. Don't be one of those people who are like, you know, let me bring suffering by myself. I'm going to directly put my shirt on backwards. Don't cause unnecessary suffering to yourself. But if it already happens, then accept it with joy, happiness, and love. What about, um, what, okay, the next question, which is part of that question, what about not entirely accepting the situation because you're trying to fix it? So this is very important, and thank you for asking this. Accepting a situation doesn't mean that you're not going to try to fix it. Meaning that, let's say, God forbid, someone's sick. They, don't, they shouldn't be like, God, I accept it, and that's it. They sit in bed all day. No, no, no. Accept it, but then do whatever it is that you need to do, the hishtadlut that you need to do to go and fix it. So if you have to go to a doctor, go to a doctor. You have to take medicine, take medicine. Don't just sit back and be like, I accept it, and do nothing. You have to obviously accept it and do the necessary hishtadlut, the necessary effort that you need to do to go and fix it. Next question. What about people born with sicknesses or mental deficits and they are on a high level due to suffering, are they required to have joy even though they are getting extreme treatment? Will the rewards be great in Ghanaian? So if I understand this question correctly, let's say someone is going through difficulties in life. And uh, let's say they were born about this. Let's say it could be um, chemical imbalances, whatever it is. Then no matter what the scenario is, God put you in this scenario. So if God put you in this scenario, and that is in all scenarios in your life, those you should accept with happiness, with joy, and that will, yes, the harder, the more difficult it is, the greater the reward, and also the greater the benefit is as well in this world. That looks like we got to the final uh, question. We'll give another 10 seconds if anybody has any additional questions, and if not, we'll close it off. Okay. Looks like that is it. So... Have an amazing, successful, beautiful Shabbat. And may we not have any suffering come to each and every single one of us. But if, God forbid, we have these minor, 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 minor suffering or, or inconveniences, may we all accept it out of love and joy, and that will prevent any future bad from happening, but even more so give us tremendous amount of bachot for us and to our entire Klal Yisrael. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.